Welcome back to the Hustle Podcast. This is Anthony, and I am here with my friends Steve and James from a really cool new startup called Banter. Banter is a social discovery and player in the podcast space. I don't know if I got that right, guys. I'll let you guys uh, <laughs> chime in, in here in a second. But it's really cool. It's a it's a product that a few of us at Fun Size had a really awesome opportunity to help out with in the, in the beginning days. And today we're gonna uh, we're gonna talk to these two co-founders, learn a little bit what about what they're doing, what's next for them, and, and some of the things that they are dealing with uh, and running a startup together. Hey, guys. How you guys doing? Good. Hey, Anthony. This is Steve. And uh, yeah, you almost got it right. Banter is a uh, platform for sharing podcasts that you're listening to that, that you enjoy. If you want to have conversations around them, it's a great place to do that. And you can just follow your friends and see what they're listening to as well. I've been working on Banter for the past uh, several months now. Before that, I was at Twitter working on growth and emerging markets. Before that, uh, James and I had actually done another startup called ThinkFuse, which was very different. It was basically online project management in the same space as Trello or Asana, and that got acquired by Salesforce. Before that, uh, we were at Microsoft. So we've kind of, we've done uh, a couple laps around a lot of the major tech companies. Hey, Anthony. Thank you so much for having us. Uh, This is James. As Steve said, uh, he and I have had a chance to work together at various points in our career, and uh, this has been certainly the most uh, notable experience for us. We've been grinding away at Banter, building uh, building an app to sort of scratch an itch that we've had in the podcasting space for, for several years. And before we got started, I was working uh, in the Bay Area at Airbnb and Stripe. And it was uh, right after that, when I had uh, joined up with Steve again at Twitter, that he started pitching me on this idea that podcasting should be a little bit more social and discovery should be easier. I think it was probably because I was asking him for so many recommendations, being kind of a podcast noob at the time, <laughs> that he uh, he really wanted to see us build something in the space. And it corresponded with a lot of growth in the market and growth in the total listening audience. Uh, so that's why we ended up jumping in and uh, starting another company together. That's awesome. So many questions, but back to the like a little bit more about the origin story. So James, you and I, you were working with a client of ours, Keat Health, and there was a, a cocktail hour that we did at the, end of the, at the end of that project together when you were in Austin. And I think that's when you first mentioned this. You're like, oh, you didn't really say exactly what, you're do- what you were going to do, but you said, hey, well, you know, there's this big gap in the podcast space. You know, we think we can do something really interesting there. And I, at the time, it was it, it really piqued my interest because you know I do this podcast, and there's not a lot of really great tools out there for podcasters, or really not even that much for podcast listeners. It's, it's the early days. I think people are just starting to make things, and and I'm I'm just curious. Uh, so you guys have worked together for quite a while on some big things, big enterprise problems. Why? podcasting? We're both kind of podcast fiends. Uh, James more so now than than when we first met, but I, I think I piqued his interest in it. And uh, there's just so much great content in podcasting, but uh, oh, and, and it leads to like, so many great conversations, but they're so hard to share, if, especially cross-platform. Like if, you, if you're listening in the Apple Podcast app and you want to share an episode with your friend on Android, it's near impossible. And before Banter, there were really just two players that I'd recommend to people, either Overcast or PocketCast. And Overcast is iOS only, and PocketCast you have to pay for. And so there, there really was no decent cross-platform player, yet alone a cross-platform player that you could you know, follow your friends and have conversations right. around episodes. And it just, it just seemed like 
photos had solved this. Like, it's super easy to share photos and have conversations around them. Video had solved this. You know, you can build communities on YouTube. But for some reason, nobody had done this in audio. And I was spending a lot of my time listening to audio. So we figured we should sit out and fix it. To add to that, we, we were looking at some of the trends at the time that we, we began batting these ideas around. Uh, there's a great annual report called The Infinite Dial that Edison Research uh, publishes each year in the summer. And the growth of podcast listenership, especially in North America, was somewhere between 10 to 15 percent every year. And I think the year that we began really Speaking of this in earnest, the total listenership in the United States exceeded the number of monthly active users of Twitter, which we thought was really funny given that we were at, at a multi-billion dollar company by the very <laughs> same name. So we, we saw a lot of growth in the space, at least as far as the number of uh, eardrums that were being reached. But the, the amount of revenue in the space is been relatively flat and stagnant. It's still less than a billion dollar industry. And we figured that this would be a very good time to hop in and see if we couldn't solve a couple of the problems that, that we saw in the space and get in early before what we think is going to be a very, very rapid period of growth once uh, once some of the technical barriers are, are done away with. Yeah, learning, learning that there were more Americans listening to podcasts every month than using Twitter was really eye-opening. And it really highlighted how siloed the current listening experience was, where there's you know tens of millions of people listening to podcasts, and you you never really get a sense of that in a traditional podcast app. It's it's very siloed and isolating. There's no uh, there's no way for you to see you know which of your friends have listened to this episode or, or what are they what do what yeah. do they think about it? Yeah, so so we just wanted to make it feel more communal. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, just a reaction to a couple of those things. I mean, being that I'm an Android user. Back to the earlier point about cross-platform compatibility. I mean, you really can't create a real product that has any sort of real conversation if you can't be cross-platform. And I, and so it was obvious that you guys knew that from the beginning. You know, it's it's otherwise you're just you, you can only talk about it within like certain tribes. It's it's impossible to to create something like that if you can't if you can't share it with everyone. And not everyone's using the same tools. From day one, we had decided uh, that we had to build a cross-platform app. And uh, we had we had kind of gone back and forth on that because it roughly doubles the amount of work we have to do. But <laughs> but cutting out half of your network was just a non-starter for us. Because I often found myself wanting to share episodes with people on Android. And if I had built a product that didn't do that, that would have I would have considered that a failure. Okay, uh, before we get too far down that, yeah. I mean, why don't you guys talk a little bit more you started to hint at the opportunity here. Like, what was the big opportunity that Banter was created to sort of solve? What was the and, and what is the sort of mission of the company that you're trying to build? And and uh, you know, like, how would you describe this to someone in words? Because you know, we don't have the luxury of like a screen share here, but people can definitely go check this out at Banter.fm, and they should. But tell us a little bit more about what Banter is and what it does. Sure. So one of our we don't use this phrase externally, but but internally it's uh, brought up quite often. But one of our kind of guiding principles is a story for every audience and an audience for every story. And uh, the idea is that if somebody has a story worth sharing, we should be able to find some group of people that will enjoy it. And so it's really just about connecting people to stories or connecting stories to people and having interesting conversations around those stories. That It's really as, as simple as that. We've you know, our vision is now bigger than that. We, you know, as we've worked on this, we've discovered that a lot of publishers have difficulty monetizing. You have to be a fairly large podcast before you can start making serious advertising uh, revenue. 
And so, you know, now we've started talking to publishers about how we can help them monetize or how we can help them grow their audience and, and things like that. But the uh, kind of the guiding principle is just getting good stories in front of people and allowing them to, to talk about them. That's big, you know, from someone that creates a pot, you know, this, this podcast for me started out as a hobby and it still is, but it really is one of the most powerful marketing tools that our company has. But the problem is how do you, how do people find it? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like, you know, you know, like our, you know, the hustle podcast is buried in the iTunes directory. And, and in fact, you can't even find it unless you know to type in fun size hustle podcast. And, and it's, you know, it's like, how do you, how do I get this to a wider audience? And I think that's one of the great things about banter is not just that uh, more people can learn about the, the thing that I'm making, but um, even like working in, in the beta of the banter app, like I discovered plenty of things that I never knew existed. But, and, but what's beautiful about it, it's not about, it's not so much about, well, this is a series of, uh, a series of podcasts you should listen to, but this is a, this is something very specific, an episode, you know, a story that you should listen to. So while I've discovered a lot of contents, you know, some of these uh, new podcasts I've subscribed to, but others I can just, you know, check it out and banter, listen to it as some commentary. But yeah, I mean, the fact that you're, you're tapping into the discovery, letting people find things that they would be interested in listening based on what their connections to listen to, that's pretty powerful. Yeah, what you just said is, is, is so important. One of the things that we wanted to do when we built this app was to reduce the granularity of consumption from the entire podcast to individual episodes. Because if you think about how existing podcast players work, they're a lot like RSS readers. You go into them, you search for a specific show, you subscribe to it, and then forevermore, you're receiving every single episode in your home feed. That's right. not a very good way to, uh, to... It's very easy to become overwhelmed by too many subscriptions. And similarly, you can end up in a rut where you're always listening to the same four things. We thought that what we really wanted to do was do what Medium did for blogging. We wanted to do that for podcasting. Mm -hmm. Medium, if you have something insightful to say, you can go on Medium, publish it, and the social mechanisms there will elevate it such that you don't have to go and, and cultivate and carefully build an audience over years in order for them to hear it. You can go there uh, today without any... Uh, you can create your account even just this hour and have millions of viewers uh, of your content within, uh, you know, within a day. We wanted to do the same thing with, with audio. So the app is sort of built around the concept of that. And specifically, we call them recasts, where you can take individual yeah. episodes and recast them out to your followers. And that's, that's the way that, uh, you know, I actually discovered the Radical Candor podcast from you, Anthony, because you recast an episode from it that really stuck with you. And what you were just describing earlier was that you were seeing some, some things that really struck your fancy from some of our other early users. So it's been a really great way to, uh, to, to vary up and uh, the types of things you're consuming. Yeah, it's, it's important to discover content. And I think, you know, whether it's uh, audio or or text, or, you know, whatever, it's, 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 it's all just kind of content, isn't it? Yeah. And, uh, you know, another, you know, another, another parallel, I guess, you know, for those that are listening is, Medium is a good example, but I think what you're also, what you guys are also doing is, is starting to get really close to what other products are doing, similar to like Pocket. Pocket is starting to get to a point where it's uh, recommending things to read based on the other things that I've favorited. And so that, you know, now there's this like short list. And I, th I think that's what's really powerful because, I mean, I, I don't know, everyone's different. But I think a lot of people are, they're seeking out content, but they have very specific amounts of time, right? We're all busy people. Like, 
could be like on your morning commute or your afternoon commute or when you're taking a lunch break or even when you're on the toilet, you're trying to find, you're probably find, trying to find something to listen to. And it's probably a lot better to find something to listen to if it's, if it's something that, you know, people that you know, I, I care about too. And I, I think that's really powerful. And I want to go back to the cross-platform thing just because I think that's really huge. I know that it took you guys a lot longer to launch because of that. But I think that if you hadn't, it would have been a flop because it would have been really, really difficult to even begin to scratch the service. So I want to ask you a few questions about how you guys think and do product development. That's okay. Sure, absolutely. Well, but first, uh, one one quick question. Are you guys a Seattle startup or a New York City startup? (laughs) (laughs) That's a great question. We're neither or we're both. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, I have a lot of ties to Seattle because I spent five years there, which were the the first years that Steve and I got to work together at Microsoft, and we we spend a bunch of time flying back and forth. In fact, right now we're both in Brooklyn. Uh, Steve's been out here for the week with me working, so we uh, we find a lot of uh, value from being located on both coasts. There's a lot of investors in Seattle that we've we've spoken to, and in New York you have a huge hub of content production. Uh, there's a lot of radio and podcasting here, so it's been great for me to be on the ground here meeting and discussing uh, the needs of publishers. So for now, we're a bit of a bi-coastal company. And if we get some funding and are able to hire and grow, we might centralize in one area. Yeah, and and, Ah, uh, you know, remote teams are hard and and remote co-founders are the hardest. But as James mentioned, we, we make it a point to get to each other's respective cities roughly every month or so. And the other thing James and I have going for us is we've been working together for almost a decade now. And right. at most of those companies at Twitter and at Salesforce, that was in a remote capacity. So we have, you know, we have seven years working remotely. I don't think there's really anybody else that I would ever do a startup with remotely, just because like uh, remote brings a whole new slew of challenges. But James, yeah, James and I already have kind of those patterns. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And you already have a long history together. You know how each other works. You have, you know, you share the same values. You the trust is there. I'm, I really I do imagine it's difficult because there's a fairly big time difference between New York and Seattle. But, you know, I think as long as you're you have those core things I and mean, you can make things happen. Well, you guys are also an interesting co-founding team because you're both really awesome engineers that also are quite competent in design. So you guys, can, <laughs> I'm sure, you. can divide and conquer quite well, right? Instead of like, a lot of startups have like maybe like a business founder and a, and a technical founder, maybe design founder, but there's the engineering founder is, is one that's always like overwhelmed with like all of the work. You guys can split that up pretty well, I imagine. Yeah, it requires a, a lot of trust and, and we have <laughs> a lot of trust in each other where, you know, we, we're always on Slack and we check in with each other a couple times a day. But for the most part, we... We just say like, hey, this is what I'm working on. And, and we just trust each other to get it done. It also really helps that we have some very clearly defined uh, areas of ownership so that, uh, in fact, I mean, it, it's about as clear as it could possibly be. I own the app development and everything that, that is on the client side and on the device. And then Steve owns everything on the back end. So he owns the APIs and all of the back end services. So we're able to, to define the, the contract of our, our of our code interacting with a fairly predictable and well designed API that we work together to to spec out, but then past that we can go off and, and work on implementation apart from one another. And we, we obviously are syncing a lot, but it that really frees us up to to have, you know, many hours of uninterrupted work where we don't have to coordinate. So okay, you answered my next question because I was gonna ask where is there overlap and where is there not? If you guys don't mind answering this, like where is there overlap 
And how do you guys, what sort of construct do you guys have for making final decisions when you guys don't agree on something? That's a very good question. So the overlap, as I mentioned a moment ago, the overlap that we encounter every day is the apps API. And because we're both engineers, I'm going to use a couple of uh, technical terms just because I'm very nerdy and excited about how we built this. But we uh, built our API using GraphQL. So we end up sort of specifying all of the different data that the app can access and, uh, and mutate through that API. And, and we usually spend a fair bit of time every other day discussing any additions or removals from it. That's one of the ways that we, we directly overlap. But we also then spend time discussing the visual implement, implementation of features, uh, specifically like yep. user experience implications of, of uh, tweaks that we're making to the app. And we'll also sometimes discuss uh, scaling and performance concerns on the back end. So you can see like on, we're both sort of stepping into each other's territory. And that typically comes in, we both respect each other and have a lot of skill on, on both ends of the divide. So that manifests in the form of us, one of us asking for the other's advice. And we'll, we'll bring things up, we'll surface them, we'll have a discussion. And generally when we have a, a disagreement, we'll defer to the person who sort of owns that space. But it's very rare that we end up having like a 50-50, like we both are adamantly opposed to one another. On a, on a given point, we can usually bring enough data or, or rationale into the picture that we're able to convince one, uh, each other. Yeah, we're usually pretty much on the same page. And kind of going a, a level higher than, the, say, the API, uh, whenever we're in town together, we'll usually grab coffee and spend some time on the product roadmap. And we'll open up a notebook and just kind of sketch out what we want to accomplish over the next few weeks or where we see the product going. And we'll usually kind of prioritize that. You, you guys must be hacked into my computer, like reading my notes, because my, again, my very next question was going to be, how do you guys manage the product roadmap together? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, you know, it's, it's more efficient to discuss it in person and, and kind of scribble out notes. And we've usually done it over coffee. But then when we're in our respective cities, we just have a Trello board where we have all of my priorities in one board and James's board is right next to it. And we just kind of throw everything in Trello and then we can like right there is, is a way for us to track how each of us are progressing through our respective roadmaps. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, so back to little product and design questions. When you guys, after you committed to this, you're going to make this thing, what was your collective vision about what a successful minimum viable product should be? And how, like walk me through what your thought process was on how you guys were thinking about how you would get that done. Right. Like I, I realized we were a part of that, but I'm kind of curious, like I, the question is kind of aimed from a co-founder perspective of being an engineer and like how you thought about design as a part of that need and, and really why you did things the way you did. I'm just curious. Yeah. So M MVP is an interesting acronym to use because the M shifted a lot. And even you know earlier, we talked about how we wanted to build on both platforms at once. Uh, you know, you could make a, an argument that by choosing to build on b both platforms, that is not minimal. But that was important to us. So, you know, that was one constraint we weren't willing to give up. Uh, but the other thing we learned as we were developing Banter, we our, our very first prototype was basically a list of episodes that you could press play on. And, you know, that's it's pretty minimal as far as podcast players go. And we thought we could get pretty far with that. And we learned pretty quickly that we chose a space where at least the early adopters, uh, you know, they've been listening to podcasts for years and they already have fairly sophisticated apps that they use in many different ways. And we learned pretty early on that a lot of people have 
patterns of usage that they just weren't being they weren't able to walk away from and so uh you know the, the most minimal podcast player we could imagine turned out to kind of be a non-starter and so we we kind of had to work a little bit harder to get to feature parity with some of the more robust players and there were features that we never thought we'd have to implement like a sleep timer uh, that like, truly we never thought we'd implement a sleep timer. And then a bunch of our users started telling us like, Hey, you know, I fall asleep listening to the podcast and I need a sleep timer and I can't use banter until, uh, until you guys have one. And, you know, we heard feedback like that from enough people or uh, another big one was playback speed. A lot of people listen to podcasts at non-native speed. And, and you know, if, if you were to enumerate the list of features that go into a podcast player, I think any reasonable person would think that that doesn't make the cut for a minimal player. But we found so many people were kind of set in their ways that we had to adjust our definition of minimal in order to get early adopters using it. One of the good things about this yeah. process, though, is that by delivering something that was truly minimal and, and was lacking a lot of the more sophisticated playback uh, controls and download management and things of that nature, we initially, you know, when we when we engaged with FunSize and 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 had uh, y'all step in and, and help us out with the initial design, we were focused 110% on the social features because the social features were going to make us unique. Nobody needed another pod general like RSS style uh, podcatcher, so. We, we spent all the time with you really thinking about the social primitives, like the, the concept of recasting and upvoting, which eventually became likes, and how to have conversations and reply threads and all of that. And that was what we explored with you, and you all helped us to get a lot of clarity on that. So what we did was we, we took that, we implemented that on top of a very, very basic audio player and got that out in the hands of as many people as we, we could the early very early days. And... As people started falling off and saying, you know, I like the social features, but I really need my sophisticated download management, we started then backfilling all of those features that I would consider table stakes for a podcasting app. And it's, right. it's funny because it, it delayed our ability to get to market and sort of have a confident launch where we were mostly feature complete, but it gave us a lot of time to, to tweak the social features while we filled in the audio playback features. So I think it's brilliant because the the folks that were a part of the beta, I mean you, you didn't necessarily start with all the table stakes. You started with what makes you different. So now they the folks in the beta already have a, a clear mental model of like why this is different. Exactly. Than say pocket guys, Exactly. Right? And that we we changed the the social primitives so many times. In fact it's it's the area where we feel like we feel the greatest confidence relative to our, our competitors in the social podcasting space uh, when we think about how our social primitives map to user behavior. And I know I've just used a lot of jargon there, but we, we spent a lot of time trying to figure out sort of what weight to give uh, reply threads versus uh, recasts. We spent a lot of time thinking about how to, to ask people to re-engage with content and, and leave their opinion and, and how widely to share it. And we um, there was a lot of things that we tweaked along the way, which we were using early user data to, to refine while we while we added, you know, the uh, the silence shortening and the, the, the playback speed controls. Yeah. I want to talk to you guys more about what social primitives mean because it sounds really badass. <laughs> that sounds like a but bad thing. We can name. talk about that. A- <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's uh, uh, that's just uh, yeah. I guess that's yeah. That's a lot of jargon. I. It's funny. We have a lot of jargon that we use in the back end and in the code that we don't actually expose to the users, and I suppose that's just one of them. But when I say social primitives, I really mean the recast. Uh, the recast is the thing in banter. The idea that when you hear something that you like 
you can hit a button similar to like the retweet button and make sure that all the people who follow you have a chance to hear it. I think it's been the most powerful feature for, for social discovery, like being able to see what your friends are, are really loving and recommending. It's led to uh, one of the coolest stats that we have is that about 10% of the episodes that are listened to on Banter are recasts, and specifically wow. recasts of episodes from shows that that user does not follow already. So 1 in 10, and that's, that's really speaks volumes about how much the social proof really influences what people are going to choose to listen to. Like if, if my friend puts something in front of me, even from like Barstool Sports and like these, these episodes uh, from podcasts that like I have no intrinsic interest in, I will listen to and I'll usually find them really interesting. Uh, yeah, and, and the other nice thing about podcasts is we, you know, we don't assume that everybody currently uses banter. One day they will. But you can also share recasts onto Twitter or onto Facebook. And, you know, if you share it onto Twitter, you can play it right from within your feed. And it's just a, it's a really good way for you to share podcasts with literally your entire social network, whether or not they're on banter. Just real quick before I get in, I have uh, several other big questions for you. But are you discovering any interesting data on like what social networks are the most popular networks that people are sharing on? Well, right now, we actually just got the external sharing in place uh, a couple weeks ago. It was it was a feature that had a lot of lead time uh, that went into it because we had to build a full web app in order to you know have something mm. to point to. So we don't have much data to show for that right now. And in fact, oh, okay. it, <laughs> Facebook just changed their APIs for sharing in the wake of all of the, the various scandals. So we're going to have to retool that again because <laughs> they've just uh, they just pulled the rug out from under all the app developers uh, this week. Yeah, they changed quite a few things like that has been affecting things on our end too, like the way we share content. Exactly. All right, let's see. I got some more questions for you guys. So, you guys launched. Congratulations. Thank you. Thanks. Now what? Ooh, growth. Yeah, <laughs> growth. Uh, yeah, it's all about getting users in the app. We have uh, we have a pretty good beta going on right now with a couple hundred users, and everybody in there is super passionate about podcasts. And it's uh, at this point, it's just about getting more passionate users in there to share you know, more great podcasts. Yeah, I think that what that looks like in particular is that we want to we want to increase the top of the funnel, the number of people who are, who are discovering banter and installing it. We we really could could still afford to focus a little bit more on onboarding and sort of helping people to understand what what is going on in the app, make make sure that it bridges with their expectations uh, in a podcast player. And then from there, the third area that we're really looking to, to push on to improve growth is to get to, to think through how we can make it even easier to share what you're listening to out to other social networks. And that, that really leads into a feature that we've been, we've been working on and, and refining over the past uh, two months that we're, we're going to launch sometime soon. I can't say when, but, but we're, we're very excited about it. And it's the ability to highlight specific clips in an episode and, and share those out. Well, share them within banter and share them out to Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. It's, it, there are a couple people in the space who, who are working on this, and we see some publisher tools that you have to pay for where, that will generate these little uh, videos of segments of shows. But we want to make that available to all listeners across all shows. Uh, that's something that we think will be really huge for driving engagement, and uh, we're really excited to get that out as soon as possible. Cool. A lot of people, you know, some, you know, everyone's different. Some people don't really understand how hard it is to, like, create a company and, and grow a company, much less a company like yours that, I mean, you know, a company like mine, I mean, we, we have clients, they pay us money. You guys are building a startup, like you have growth is different. So my question for you is, 
I want designers to understand this. This is where this is where this is coming from. How does a startup like yours? When does growth happen? And then a step below that, like when does a startup like yours start thinking about needing to hire designers? Yeah, that, it's it's interesting. It definitely depends on the startup. You know, the the last startup James and I did together, uh, ThinkFuse, that was a a B two B startup, and you know, in that case, you can. Have, when we were acquired by Salesforce, we had about ten thousand teams using us, and that was considered a big success. Meanwhile, in a consumer app, if you have ten thousand users using your app, it's you know it's barely a blip on the radar. And so, depending on your startup, those criteria will change. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and as far as sort of when it when is the right time to hire a first designer. <laughs> in the consumer space, we could use one right now. Honestly, it's it's one of those things where there's always a, a designer that's capable of synthesizing user feedback and, and a designer that is, is capable of sort of looking at the same data that we're, we're analyzing because we're not data scientists by trade. We're all sort of just poking around a mixed panel. But if, if we had a designer that somewhat of a generalist, we could definitely sort of use that right away. But I have to say with the evolution of these small teams that I've been on, usually we see uh, like full-time designer or, or contract designer coming in around the fourth or fifth hire. You know, after maybe the two, uh, you usually start with two co-founders, like two or three engineers. And then maybe uh, maybe that's when you start layering in different roles like biz dev or design. But it, it really depends on, on the space. And with, with us having a number of consumer touch points, uh, I, I would definitely like to have it earlier versus later. But right now, Steve and I are bootstrapping the company, so our ability to hire anybody is is, is nil until we're able to uh, to fetch some uh, some investment capital. Yeah, it's it's hard. Uh, someone once gave me some advice. You know, I think about this a lot. Someone told me I can't remember who said, "Don't create a new discipline unless you can hire three of them." Yeah, which I thought was interesting because like. It implies that, you know, unless you have like a culture of people that are dealing with the same problems, that the cost of of doing that is not worth the investment because, you know, like recruiting will be hard or retention will be hard or sinking dollar, you know, like you just, it's like a, it's like a money pit. You guys like have this awesome bond together and also share a lot of skills. Like you, you can do, like you got the engineering covered and you guys are clearly you know, like really competent design-minded engineers that can do design. Like in, a, in many ways, I think it's kind of, it's really, div- it, it, it sometimes doesn't make sense to hire like one designer, you know? Because uh, then like, who's going to create that culture for them? Who's going to grow their career? Tell me if I'm right or wrong, but lately I've been thinking that what a lot of startups need is just like... A fun size. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. exactly. They need a partner that they can trust for about 20% of the year for big pivotal work, exactly. yeah. and then for for the eighty percent of the day to day, they can probably do it themselves if they have the right frameworks, or or do it with relatively like low cost resources. And do you guys, what do you guys think about yeah, that? So, because I, so, I'm starting to mentor startups at the at this VC fund in Austin, and I people start at, you know like people have been asking me like, well, should I hire funds? So I was like, no, don't like not for that. Like maybe you know like for maybe these small these small things, but are big challenges but not for the not not on an ongoing capacity yeah no uh, working with you guys early on was was phenomenal and uh, accelerated our progress a ton we had been taking a stab at kind of simple product design before formally working with you guys and, and we were slowly making progress but it was one of those things where every time we open up 
some design app, we knew that a, a real designer would do it in one-tenth the, the amount of time that, that we were doing it. The, the other nice thing about having a design team or people that are removed from the engineering decisions is, as an engineer, it's very easy to even subconsciously dismiss ideas because uh, you know they'll be difficult or you know a burden to implement, whereas a designer is is not thinking about it in terms of how difficult is this feature to implement. They're thinking about it more, you know, how does it add value to the end user? And so it's nice to have someone who is kind of thinking about it without these additional constraints guiding their thinking. And as far as working with you guys early on, the great thing that you did for us was you helped us come up with a visual language that after our engagement ended, whenever James and I had to design a new screen or a new feature, we could basically just lean on that visual language and come up with a decent result. Absolutely. It's it's kind of funny because when I look at look at the Envision boards that were delivered sort of at the end of our, our time working together with FunSize, uh, it, the app looks nothing like that anymore, at least it, in the details, but the, the overall design language uh, remains the same, and we've been able to iterate within that framework for a good amount of time because you left us with the great way of you gave, gave us a lot of assets, but you also just left us with a good mental model for like the approach that we're taking to designing each screen. And so it, it's, it's been really good to have that. Uh, and, and I absolutely agree. I think right now, the thing that makes me jump at the idea of having a full-time designer is that I, that's one of those hats that is, as Steve said, kind of expensive to wear. Like, you know, we're all wearing multiple hats uh, as, as co-founders, but every time I put on the design hat, it really does force me to think in a different way. And it does... I have to sort of spend the whole day focusing on design if I'm going to do that. To switch back and forth between code, at least just the way that I my my, my skill set works is really expensive. So you know, it it it's. I think you can you can sort of go a little bit in either direction. There's no uh, silver bullet here, but we were very very thankful and privileged to be able to work with you because you all believed in what we were building and were willing to to spend time with us in those early days. And it's definitely paying huge dividends for us now. Yeah, and to give you guys a shout-out on, on two things that really stand out that you helped us out with, one is uh, our navigation hierarchy. If you were to use our app, you'd probably it probably feels like there's a handful of screens, maybe three or four screens, but there, there's actually dozens of screens, and uh, that's something that we spent a lot of time iterating with you guys. How can you navigate around the app with you know all this various functionality but still make it feel very lightweight and still allow the user to know where they are within the app that you know that they haven't gotten lost in in some hierarchy and then the the other thing you really helped us with is we had been struggling with what it, you know what's the vibe that we want the app to give off uh, you know do, we wanted it to be editorial but we didn't want it to feel like a newspaper and we had worked with Jim Jim Jordan who's a brilliant designer he doesn't deserve that <laughs> <laughs> well he is he's he's awesome we we love Jim <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. And yeah, we did Jim's a bunch good. of different iterations. And one day he just threw a, a halftone at us. And man, it just immediately stuck with us. It was like, you know, very rooted in print and like kind of comic booky. But at the same time, we made a little tweak to it that made it feel a little more editorial. And uh, and we, we landed in this really nice spot where, uh, you know, the, the halftone in the app is a, a relatively subtle accent but it makes the app feel distinct, and it makes it feel just just a little kind of uh, rooted in traditional media, while still just feeling very lightweight and, and fun. Well, that's cool. I, I appreciate the compliments. I mean, I wasn't looking for any of that. I mean, I appreciate you sharing it, but really, I would, you know, I'm just trying. You know, what's more important is getting your thoughts on on how you think about design. 
uh, you know, because a lot of a lot of folks I know are trying to get a job at a startup or they're or they're startups that are trying to figure out design and and you guys have been around the block, so your 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 viewpoint is really valuable. If you don't mind, like I'd like to take this a little bit further. Two questions that are related to this. What advice would you give to designers or agencies that are trying to work with startups? Be cheap. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, yeah. But but uh. I, <laughs> it was uh, <laughs> in all seriousness, the, it really comes back to what we what we just discussed, which is if you're if you're working with a, a startup, you need to you need to give them is you need to teach them how to fish, right? Don't just hand them hand them a fish, teach them how to fish. And that that looks like, you know, setting, uh, building like a, a minimal style guide, setting a, a visual language, helping to even show how that language has been, dis- been applied to the couple of high fidelity screens that are delivered so that it, so that the people who you're, you're handing off to can go and replicate the thinking that went into the the deliverables that that you you hand off, so that they can go and design you know screens four through ten after you give them screens one through three. Um, I think that's the most important thing. It helps those startups get the most bang for their buck, get the most out of their time with you. And if you set them up to succeed like that, they're likely going to be coming back once they have the funding to do further engagements. I think I think that's right, and I also think it tied on to that. You gotta you know you gotta keep the ego hat in check. Like it's impossible, you know, to work with a company for a short period of time and just assume that the thing that you thought was awesome is just going to get implemented as you designed it. What's more important, like you said, is that there, that there's a, that there is a, like a vision and a framework and the right components necessary for, for, for a team to go build and iterate because things are always going to change. They, they have to, they need to be designed to change. Uh, and I think a lot of people get frustrated when they design something and then it doesn't get implemented. But it, that's, that that world doesn't right. really well, exist. Well, and, and with early stage startups, you really don't know what's going to stick. Uh, so unless the unless the design right. team is is yeah. with you for the entirety of that first year, like week after week, you're going to really just be working on uh, using the information you have available at the time. And I, I think it would actually be a failure for the company not to have changed your designs six months later. Uh, it means that the, the company isn't iterating fast enough or they're not actually attuned to yeah, the user, uh, user behaviors and the data that they, they can see from their product. Yeah, that, I, I agree with that. So the opposite question on the opposite side, what advice would you give to a startup who needs design or needs to hire a designer? I would say you really... You really do do need to hustle for it. Like it's not gonna it's not gonna be free. It's not going to be. It's never particularly easy to find because design like having a relationship with a design agency or with an individual designer is is a very feels very personal. I feel like with with code you can have there's a certain commoditized element to it, but with design you need to find somebody that you think you'll be compatible with. And the good thing about the design world is that there are a ton of different portfolio sites out there where you can get a taste for somebody's aesthetic and the way that somebody thinks about you interactions and you can also tell whether they have experience in the platforms that you're targeting uh, all in advance of reaching out to them so if you're looking for to hire a freelancer you can you know use uh, dribble and behance and all of those sites and uh, agencies tend to showcase their work and showcase their thinking uh, through case studies podcasts etc uh, I'd say like really do your do your homework reach out to 
at least five different groups. You know, it, it's kind of just like recruiting and hiring further down the road. You need to have a you need to have like a pretty full top of funnel to get to to one relationship that's actually going to work out and just just keep trying it's uh it was really serendipitous that we met through us being engaged with a, a different different company but that that relationship has has proved uh, to be a really satisfying one we got to work together again and i hope we get to do so in the future yeah i do too i do too and i'm really proud of what you guys accomplished i really love the product i'm really glad that you guys are getting pr i'm glad that people love the product i'm glad that you guys are happy and nice. a kicking ass. Yeah. I, I, and I really look forward to seeing you guys too. We'll, after we record this, we should actually talk about how we can get yeah. together. But before we wrap up, maybe you could tell me a little bit about what some of the biggest challenges you face at this moment in time, like to get that, you know, to accomplish some of these growth goals you have. And, and then maybe also if you want to share, like, what are you, what are you excited about doing next? Like, what are, what is the, uh, maybe it, whether it's from the business perspective or an individual level, like what are you know what are some of the biggest challenges you're, you face and some of the challenges that you're most excited about? Yeah, so kind of in the immediate future, we're we're at this point where we've built this foundation where we have a, a really good listening layer, and we've kind of built out all the social features or most of the social features that we want, and we've got you know healthy beta going on, and it's it's all been built with, by the two of us, but now we're at this point where we can build on top of this foundation and branch out in many different ways you know there's from the listening perspective we could build clients for uh the echo and google home and kind of branch out into more clients we could also move up the stack and start helping publishers out by helping them monetize or or focus more on discovery or you know the needs of publishers and there's a bunch of other features within the app that we want to implement and we're so we're kind of getting to this point where we are kind of bound just by the size of the team and so the Mm. in the immediate future we're very focused on user growth, but we're also probably rapidly approaching the point where we'll need to raise around just to grow the team to kind of achieve everything that that's on our product roadmap. Yep, and that's that's always a, a scary prospect. Going out in front of investors is always always a challenge, but it's something that we're gearing up for. And as Steve said, we, we're pretty confident in the foundation that we built with the, the listening product, and we're ready to really just throw f- some fuel on the fire there, really start seeking press, making sure that all of the activity in the platform is adequately syndicated and getting out in front of other people so that they have a, a chance to see, uh, hear about banter, install it, try it out themselves. It's a, it's very different from what we've done in the past. Our past startup was B2B, so working in the B2C space, it's uh, it's 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 a uh, it's sort of scary, right? You you're not you don't have virality until you do. And and so yeah. we're waiting for that that inflection point. We're trying to push mm-hmm. until we have that critical mass of users that generates starts generating that that virtuous growth cycle. And we're hoping to we have a bunch of different strategies that we're trying to to get that seeded right now. That's awesome. Everyone that's listening, please, 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 please check out Banter. You can find them on banter.fm. You can download uh, the iOS app in the Google app there. Check it out. Give the guys feedback. Enjoy it. It's pretty cool. If you're a, a designer that wants to work for free, <laughs> I'm just kidding. If you're a designer that wants a job at Banter, maybe you can give the guys a holler. I mean, they got some, a lot of really exciting things yeah. going on. Guys, I really appreciate you making time. I know it's a, a little bit later in, in New York City where you guys are at, and I'll let you, guys, let you get back to your valuable time together. How can our listeners connect with you guys? Well, I'd say the best way is to, to get on the app. Go to Banner FM, download the app, and 
In fact, you're automatically going to be following Steve and myself, so uh, <laughs> we, we're, we're pulling a little MySpace Tom thing there where uh, yeah. everybody's following oh, yeah. us. We're in your top but, uh, eight. Yeah, we... Uh, James <laughs> exactly. from I hope you <laughs> I hope you like tech podcasts. No, but we, we say that, and we're both reachable on Twitter. We're not particularly clever. It's just our names, at James Reggio, at Steve Krenzel. Those are the best ways to reach out to us, but... If, and if you prefer email, you can email us both at founders at banter.fm. Absolutely. Oh, that's smart. You guys got a, a way to pull through <laughs> right. email. T- took me five years. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thanks again for taking time to come on the show and tell a story and, and have a conversation. We'll look forward yeah, you to bet. Thanks to for having soon. us. And uh, congrats again on being a father. It's very exciting. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Anthony. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We'll catch you next time. Cheers. Hustle is brought to you by Fundsize, a digital service and product design agency that works with inspiring teams to uncover opportunities, evolve popular products, bring new businesses to market, and prepare for the future. Learn more at fundsize.co. I'm Edgar Briseño, a design lead at Fundsize. Thanks for listening to Hustle and be on the lookout for our next episode.